I admire your luck, Mr. Bond. James Bond. This never happened to the other fellow. For your eyes only, darling. Whoever she was must have scared the living daylights out of her. What of you? Hello and welcome to another episode of For Your Ears Only, Optimism Vaccine's ongoing James Bond podcast series. So we're counting down to No Time to Die, the 25th James Bond movie, by watching every other James Bond movie first, because that's the sort of thing we have the time for. So my name is Jack Eason. I'm joined by Jake Trapila. As ever, Jake, how you doing? That's right, Jack. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> we're... We're about to wade into some some scary stuff here, though. So uh, we, we've 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 breached the new millennium uh, wow. at this point, and we're closing out the end of an era. And what an end! Uh, with Pierce Brosnan's final film, uh, Die Another Day, his final Bond film. He didn't die at the end of this. He still works in other movies. But, he, didn't, uh, he didn't die, but he certainly killed the franchise for a few <laughs> years. <laughs> there was definitely touch and go for a little while. Um, this is actually my first time ever watching this film. I'd never seen this before. Oh I guess, my god! I guess the reviews put me off at the time or something. Um, so <laughs> this is the I'm, first film I saw in the theaters that was Bond oh, related. Wow! Because I can tell you, eighteen years does not do this film any favors. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Everybody, strap in. This is going to be a loopy episode. I can feel it. Oh dear. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah. So. To die another day is uh, it's uh, it starts in in well, North Korea, right? Well, hold on. Oh, sure. We gotta sure. we gotta start first of all the gun barrel. Oh, for Christ, the f- I Why? <laughs> oh. For the first time ever, a giant. We get the retreated to the gun barrel, and a giant CGI bullet flies at the camera. Oh shatters some glass or like it breaks the screen and this was never released in 3d if you're gonna do some no. crap like that at least at least have a 3d portion or something this apparently was suggested by our our the film's director lee tamahori who i don't know <laughs> yeah he, uh, he's a news i believe he had a new zealand film um that was very big and uh he did, yeah, he did he, once we're war, once we were warriors which i i have not seen in many many years but i remember being a very good film um so yeah i mean no no harm to him but uh maybe bond is not his speed no <laughs> i mean it's the problem is that this is so you know Bond films are uh, a lot of them you know they kind of set the standard for a lot of films that we see today certainly they're the first blockbusters but then after a while a lot of Bond films began aping uh, what was big at the time and I would say this is the worst case of that this very much putting my Blu-ray on just this last week this looks like a movie that was shot in 2001 and released in 2002 um, this the color grading the the use of speed ramping and slow motion oh, yeah. uh, the, the the sports in this movie this movie is batshit insane yeah no um, all that like you talk about that speed ramping like that that alteration of speed just reminds me of like i remember just watching like 13 ghosts like all those all those like late 90s early aughts horror movies that just yeah. give you a headache and you're like why is this happening and to find it in the bond franchise is just uh thankfully i think it's a, this is an isolated they like nip this one in the bud they're like no no more yeah. So this, uh, yeah, the, of all, yeah, of all the films, you know, even though this is released decades after some, like the Man with the Golden Gun, which was a response to like the Kung Fu films of the time, this is the film where, like, relative to what it looks like, it's aged the worst. I would say this is the probably the ugliest looking Bond film. I don't know if I can think of one that is a bit. Just in terms of style and lighting, even just set lighting is is <laughs> nothing is quite as garish as this yeah, movie looks. Yeah, I, I think yeah, because I think this was the color grading. I believe was done digitally, and it was around that time where every movie started looking like ass because they right. just yeah. yeah. It's it's yeah. This basically, you know, the advent of digital editing, basically every everything you could do to film stock, it was now a filter you could turn on in a setting on your computer. Um, 
But uh, yeah, so uh, we started to get into it. Why stop now? Uh, the film opens with James Bond surfing in a North Korea. Because that's, that's how you access North Korea traditionally is on a surfboard, but a surfboard full of gadgets with that's two, right. two nameless, faceless, nobody assistants who die almost instantly. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> that's that's right. Um, so he's there um, to stop a. He's basically he uh, hijacks the position of a diamond salesman to get to the base of one Curl Moon in North Korea, uh, who is uh, trading the diamonds for weapons. And I believe Bond is just simply there to stop him. Um, one of the things that he's got is a gun that can blow up tanks or helicopters, as we see. And he also has hovercrafts um, to get over minefields. I, yeah, I love that. Like the, the hovercrafts can navigate over mines without sending them off, which is, you know, OK, yeah. so what? It's still the demilitarized zone. You're going to ride into a wall for yeah. like it, there's no reason for any of it. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I don't even know for like hover it's like the the way they introduce it it sounds like they invented hovercrafts like we have this new thing you've never heard of before that can get over landmines hovercrafts yeah. i was like i've seen hovercrafts they're that's they're, not a thing they've been in bond films before james bond <laughs> took a hovercraft in diamonds are forever to get from one <laughs> island to another um but anyways uh bond is cover is blown immediately because uh the north koreans have a cell phone that can reveal his identity um, the henchman of this movie is uh, Zhao, played by Rick Yoon, who's also of the Fast and the Furious franchise. Um, they Which capture this film yeah. looks quite a bit like. Yeah, many it, times. I, it really looks like the shiny plastic cars in which are also featured a lot of in this movie of the Fast and the Furious franchise. So this is probably you know as much as I enjoy some of the Fast and the Furious movies, this is probably the that's probably the worst franchise for Bond to look like. Uh, if you ask me, yeah, yeah. I mean, this this compares poorly to those films. Yeah, uh, even some of the weaker of those films. This is not coming out ahead. Yeah, this is the too fast, too furious of the Bond franchise. Um, anyways, uh, using C four that he planted in a briefcase filled with diamonds, Bond escapes. Uh, Zhao gets a bunch of diamonds embedded in his face, and he chases uh, Colonel Moon, Colonel Moon, in a hovercraft. Uh, there's some fighting involving a flamethrower, a lot of uh, Bond not defeating the purpose of the hovercraft. Bond starts shooting the mines that he can see planted on top of the ground so that they can rise in the air and explode and destroy the other hovercrafts behind him. But uh, yeah, they he uh, yeah he and Curl Moon fight. Uh, Bond jumps off, is saved by a bell. He says, "Saved by the bell," and Curl Moon's hovercraft careens off the side of a waterfall presumably to his death we think he's dead uh and then for the first time ever bond is actually captured by the enemy forces instead of escaping and he spends the next 14 months being tortured by uh north korean officials um any any thoughts on the uh, the cold open before we get to the song oh uh, well i mean <clears throat> i think i think we've covered the uh we've we've covered the main issues here um yeah, it, ooh, it's, it's just, it's just, I mean, the action sequence that has a hovercraft chase is, is solid enough. It's not, you know, it's, it's, it is what it is. It's big vehicles and explosions and it's a bit goofy, but so be it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you, you, we, we lead into our, our intro sequence, which is a kind of a first, uh, new, the, the Bond series really suffered with, um, you know, Mars Binder's death. Uh, and kind of the 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 title things like the Brosnan yeah. era title they've never been really great. No, there are a lot of digital ladies. Yeah, they, and, and just their, their conception, they just they didn't have. I I don't know when. Maybe I'm a little bit biased, but yeah, like I feel like the digital they what became relatively easy to do digitally. They they never made up for it with better design, and so the the older versions always were just that little bit more intriguing and interesting, even if they often coasted on a formula but uh this one tries something new and i i respect them for trying something new by actually integrating story elements into it so we the, the opening credit sequence essentially through stylized graphics and stuff uh, depicts bond's 14 months of torture with scorpions for some reason yeah uh, scorpion venom 
and 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 while all this is happening uh we hear this This is uh, Madonna, Die Another Day. And uh, Jack, I'm going to go out and go ahead and say it. This is the worst Bond theme song ever. I mean, I'm not going to disagree with you. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, like, I've, I've talked a lot about how, like, I probably, there's not many Bond theme tunes I'd listen to outside of a Bond film. This one, <clears throat> I don't know, maybe kind of a radio filler kind of thing. But, like, even as an electric, you know, it's it stands out as this very harsh electronic kind of dance vibe to it which is, you know, very unusual for the franchise up until this point. But it's not it's not even a very good song of that type. Yeah. I don't really know. I mean, Madonna kind of... And it's strange because Madonna had some great electronic music uh, yeah. around the same period. So I, I don't know what happened here. This really feels like she woke up and was like, shit, I signed a contract. They, they need a song. And this happened. It's a very... Well, and, and what's the Sigmund Freud thing? Oh, I mean, I, I, I don't know why that's in there in the bridge where she says Sigmund Freud, analyze this, analyze this. I don't know why that's part of this song. Okay, no, it's, <laughs> it, I just was wondering, maybe I was missing something, but no, apparently not. It's just a very, I, it's strange. I mean, I, I kind of like, like I say, I, I don't want to fault them for trying something new. It's a very radical departure. I don't think it works, though. Um, it's, it's jarring and not in a good way. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, a. Uh, I mean, to think back and go, oh, hey, we got the grandeur of, uh, Shirley Bassey, and here this is a weird Madonna pop electronic song, it's, it's, yeah, it's very jarring, and I, 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 yeah, I kind of like the implication that Bond is being tortured by the song himself because this is for like the first time ever images of the actual narrative are inserted over the Bond theme title credits. So it's like Bond is actually being tortured in North Korea while this song is on repeat for the 14 months that he's imprisoned. Anyway, they let in that one piece of Western music. Yeah. Uh, Elton <laughs> John, yeah. Elton John believes this is the worst theme tune in the franchise's history. Well, and the uh, strangely enough, though, I did find out um, Channel 4 in England, the TV channel, ran a poll of Bond tunes, and this song was overwhelmingly the favorite song of people, under, of people under 24 years of age. Oh, okay. Well, now I'm guessing that it. was run around the time the film came out, so I'm guessing it was kind of a Madonna boost there as well. But um, so it also earned a Razzie nomination for uh, for Madonna. Sure. Uh, we discussed last episode about how Razzie suck, but we'll, we'll put it down to record that that it was mentioned there. But yeah, uh, it, this is a thing. It happened. Um, yeah. There the, you go. Madonna did a bad song, but uh, did, yeah. So did a song and she yeah. And this also continues Bond's die thing, which is getting a little confusing at this point. Uh, die another day, no time to die, live and let die, tomorrow never dies. Yeah, well, I expect you to die, Mr. Bond, but uh, yeah. All right, so uh, back to the story proper. Um, Bond so is Bond released. obviously never escapes North Korea and dies, no. and the end credits roll. 
That's yeah, that's yeah. This weird how like they I mean that's why they had to reboot it with Daniel Craig four years later because they that's, had nowhere else to go. Yeah, he, this is the only dead. fifteen minute long James Bond film. Yeah. Yeah, literally. Um Okay, but, no, uh, he doesn't die. No. He gets out. Come on, we're messing around, you guys. Uh but yeah, so Bond is uh he's not released by his own volition. He's actually being traded back to his own superiors because they've captured Zhao. So it was a trade of uh, the North Korean prisoner for the British prisoner. Um, and then Bond is uh, put on a medical ship in the harbor of Hong Kong where he's being monitored. Uh, M expresses disappointment with him. And um, before I go out of my way to defend this movie too much, I do like that after the post, after the opening title sequence, basically this next chunk, like 20 minute chunk of the movie all the way through Cuba, I think is the best part of the movie um because uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, this is a I, yeah this is a, this is another bond goes rogue adventure uh and this is like the there's something kind of i mean bond or brosnan as bond is really sort of more he's more of a light-hearted uh playful bond certainly not uh dalton but this is kind of like the darkest we see him get because he's also his hair has grown out he's got a thick scraggly beard he's like he's like just being cruel and spiteful to everyone around him and he feels like he's been betrayed so i i think there's some interesting stuff in here that works the problem is they're part of what's basically moonraker 2 is the yeah yeah movie. definitely yeah there, there's some interesting elements here M comments that he should have used his cyanide rather than being captured and he says he threw it away yeah years ago. so so there's an interesting element here if you, you say bond is being kind of spiteful to everyone and a part of that i think is a self-loathing that he he failed. He got captured. They had to. They had to get him out, but they didn't do. It's not that M is sentimental and likes Bond. It was purely rational decision because Zhao was so. It's considered dangerous, and they didn't know. Oh, that's right. There was a leak, and they they weren't sure if Bond wasn't leaking the information. So right. they they wanted to remove him, and so on. So there there's an interesting sense of intrigue, and yeah, a certain darkness to this this sequence. Um. Which, yeah, will dissipate pretty quickly. Um, and there's also an interesting element here. I think that Bond, of course, quickly escapes. Uh, right. By, he, by beating up a couple of people and jumping overboard. But well, I do hold, want to hold just, on, just, hold on, hold on. He, well, well he, I'm, I'm just curious. I'm just saying, like, I'm not sure if M knew he would or not. Well, I don't think it's so much that knew. I mean, it's it's very possible. There's there's It's kind of hinted at that there's, despite how, you know, she's always reprimanding him. I think there's a secret part of M that trusts Bond more than anyone else. So sure. she'll she'll you know she'll save face by saying, you know, you should not have done this. You have to follow the book. You cannot do these things. But at the same time, she kind of wants Bond to escape and go on his own mission. And I think that's that's something that'll also be explored in the Craig films. But yeah, no, um, definitely M and Bond, uh, the Judy Dench M and James Bond have a very similar relationship to my mom yes. and our dog. Ah, which is that uh, she says she hates him, but she ah. also does an awful lot of nice things for him. Oh yeah. So, mm, yeah. Deep down, Makes can't can't live without him. But yeah. So so Bond uh, escapes from this ship. Um, he beats up a few guys, but but to get there, he fake stops his own heart. I'd forgotten that. <laughs> when what the fuck training is that? So twelve year old me thought that was the cool. This was the coolest movie in the world because Bond is the kind of guy who can. He is so in tune with his body, he can trick a heart rate monitor into thinking that he's flatlined. Like we I'm were like, making, I want we were, that kind of skill. We were making fun of like him lasting for steering a boat around, but like honestly, and it's not. Yeah. There's no lead up. There's nothing about that. He just faked his own death for a while by willing his heart to stop. And yeah. it's like at that point, it's like, well, if you could do that, maybe you could have got the North Koreans to bury you somewhere and escaped. I'd like, how far does it go? Does he need oxygen? Like, <laughs> who knows at this point? He just reassembles his cremated ashes or something. Yeah, who yeah. knows? Like, it, it's just <sighs> such a weird thing to put into the movie and just not talk about anymore. Like, no, it's yeah. this absolutely insane plot beat. Yeah, so, yeah, he escapes, he swims to Hong Kong from the harbor, um, walks into his uh, favorite hotel. Uh, we should mention that he's basically, he's basically wearing pajama bottoms with an open pajama top, and he's st he looks like a homeless person without any shoes on. Um, but, yeah, he gets his, uh, his favorite suite at the hotel. 
Um, and uh, one thing I should note is that this this film was released in 2002. This is the 40th anniversary of the Bond series. And boy, do they celebrate it because there are so many references and callbacks to previous Bond films. Um, especially later on, there's a, literally a room full of every gadget from the entire franchise. But um, Bond is a... Uh, catches that he's being set up in this hotel room because he throws an ashtray uh, at a mirror and it shatters, revealing a whole camera crew behind it. And if you recall from from Russia with Love, one of the subplots is a sex tape that was filmed from behind a mirror. So it's it's weird how when you think about like the the narrative of the entire Bond franchise, how like what like who is connected to what? Is this the same guy as Connery? And so, yeah, there's just weird, strange things like that. Um I, I, I don't know. What did you think of this reference or any of the other references? Well, yeah, yeah. There, there's that. There's also, I think, doesn't uh, is it Roger Moore who says he knows a really good tailor in Hong Kong? I can't remember what movie that was from. I remember it's the line. Certainly possible. Yeah. So it's, yeah. So and he goes to Hong Kong and orders his tailor. So any, you know, yeah. There's, there's a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I think it's fun. Um, yeah, like it's certainly not <laughs> within this film. It's certainly not the least or the most egregious element. Um, they have like a Cleb's spike shoe and Q lab and stuff, which he sniffs for which, some reason. <laughs> again, within the this is a man who can will his heart to stop. Who knows yeah. what drives him at this point? At this point, perfect undead Bond for the rest of the film. He's driven by strange impulses. Um, <laughs> That's right. That could have been equal, like it make as much sense as what actually happens. Yeah, I, I think the, the it's interesting. They actually, I, I believe they actually pushed the production of this movie back a year just to specifically hit the 40th anniversary. Right. So they really, they really committed to the bit, um, and it's a kind of a shame that arguably the worst Bond film results out of it. Oh yeah, they went big in the worst ways possible. Um, so. Yeah, the the mission currently is Bond basically just wants to find and recapture or kill Zhao because um, he doesn't believe he doesn't like that Zhao has been freed for his own life. And so Bond hunts him down. He's directed to Cuba. Um, he meets a contact by the name of Raul. He gets a he gets a cool car. He gets a gun. Um, uh, this is, and this is like sort of the, this is like the only time where this feels like classic Bond is where he's driving the convertible through Cuba. Um, it's, it's, you know, there's a very nice relaxed feel to it that I enjoy. Um, but yeah, then he also happens to meet, uh, our Bond girl, Jinx, played by recent Oscar winner, Halle Berry. That's uh, right. she, yeah. she took a day off to go collect her Oscar while, while on set here. So yeah. And she's rocking performances in this, oh, man. In this it's, movie. It's, I mean, Halle Berry is like the quintessential example of the, the Oscar curse. Yeah. Um, Catwoman would follow. So, um, yeah, I mean, again, she's not a very interesting Bond villain. She, she's portrayed as very capable. We find out she's kind of, I guess she like this NSA kind of like American secret agent. Um, she feels very by the numbers here. Uh, she comes. She's of course introduced in kind of a, like an Ursula Andress style bikini. So right. it's immediate callback there. Another callback, yeah, um, Doctor No. But yeah, she uh, she's kind of an, she's kind of unfortunately put into this film as kind of like a very capable badass character. In fact, they were actually planning yeah. to possibly give her her own film series, which I don't think would have been a great idea, to be honest, because uh, no. she's very thinly written. Um, but yeah, yeah she she's very, God she's very that died a fiery death. <laughs> yeah, no, she's very capable and badass and kind of doing this and that. But she's also really quite boring. There's like a, there's nothing memorable or remarkable about her other than like she's Halle Berry. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it just feels like kind of a sort of she was a hot property at the time. Put her in there. I don't yeah. think Halle Berry is. She doesn't. She doesn't certainly distinguish the part, um, but I'm always kind of reluctant to say she does anything wrong either because I don't think there's a lot to the part. Yeah. So you know, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not really a fan of the performance, but I th- I think it's it's certainly it certainly belongs in the the movie it's in. It's not like it's she's not making the movie any worse than yes. it is. Yeah. No, she's uh, not dragging anything down here. Yeah. 
So, yeah, so uh, she and Bond have a shag, and then Bond tracks Zhao down. This is notable, actually, because something I, did, I didn't even think about this, but it was I just oh, looking through earliest, up on it. earliest, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, that this, is, this is the first time, probably, in the entire series we actually see Bond having sex. Well, yeah, not, yeah, this, like, like, in finishing, too, because then she, they're in bed together, and she pulls out a knife and, like, a fruit and starts carving it and eating it, um... But yeah, that's a, you know, certainly, certainly with the leniency of PG-13, there's some, you can, you can show more uh, civilians get gunned down and you can show Bond having sex. Yeah, that's so, it, man in yeah. the act. That's right. And uh, yeah, moving around a little bit and everything. So, well, good, good for him. I, I yeah. believe they actually had to require a couple of, a couple of trims to get the PG-13 on this one, because obviously mm. machine gunning down civilians is, is far better for children's eyes than acknowledging sex yeah. as we all know well well established pattern yeah no who and that's who, why the world is in a very good place right now who cares <laughs> yeah who cares about civilians um yeah. yeah so so anyways bond tracks down zhao he's in a uh he's in a hospital and we discover that he's undergoing like a dna gene therapy procedure to look like a german guy and he's like his head is completely shaved he still has all the diamonds embedded in his face which you think would probably be the first thing you'd want to remove if you go into surgery, but they're still there, I guess, because they have to, you know, your your henchman needs to have some sort of physical characteristic. I, I guess what we've learned from this is the diamonds are now a part of him on a genetic level. So yeah. So change the genes, he'll he'll just magically not have them anymore. Yeah, yeah that's, that's so weird. It's um, a very but, high concept, goofy idea that kind of doesn't fly. Yeah. Well. There's, and it, it's not visually realized in an interesting way it's just guys lying on tables with flashy lights yeah and they have everybody who's in these hospital rooms they also have these weird led uh like sleep masks that they use to rest because apparently like the the therapy like the gene therapy like prevents them from going to sleep so like they use these masks so that they don't go crazy but um yeah uh zhao escapes and uh so bond uh where does bond go after this uh i believe he's uh then he's sent to investigate uh a british billionaire philanthropist by the name of gustav graves um who is uh kind of like uh what what's the what's the guy who the behind virgin airlines oh, basically yeah, he's a richard yeah. branson type. exactly he's in the stunts he basically anytime he's at like a public event he he would like prefer to skydive into it as to make an appearance really um, enough actually just as, as an aside i might mention again at the time but richard branson has a random cameo in casino royale for some, yes he does for some reason yeah. yeah so i guess they they're really enamored with the guy but yeah definitely gustav graves is a a Richard Branson kind of a feel to him, although honestly he comes off more like an Elon Musk type at this point. Oh yeah, um, but Ed, that was uh, he wasn't around at the time this movie was made. Yeah, so uh, indeed, um, so Bond follows him to his uh, fencing uh, lesson, where we the fencing instructor is played by Madonna herself. Uh, so you have Verity yeah. for some reason. Her name is Verity, and this is this is the first time that a Bond, uh, a uh, a singer of a Bond theme has appeared as an actress in the film. Uh, not like uh, For Your Eyes Only, where the singer appeared in the opening credits herself. That's um, right. This, but yeah. this was also the period where Madonna, I think, had just she was living in England, and people were making fun of her a lot because she had she developed this strange English quasi English accent. Yeah, which was people were making fun of her and saying she was doing it on purpose and doing a bad job. But on, I don't know. I think some people just pick up accents weirdly. So I just always give her the benefit of the doubt. But she does sound odd. Yeah. So which again, odd. just and I, and I don't know why, you know, she's I don't know why she's in the film. There's no real introduction to her. But Pierce Brosnan seems to know her, I guess. Um, and she introduces us to Gustav Graves and, of course, to uh, Miranda Frost. Oh yes, yeah. Miranda Frost played played by um, Rosamund Pike of Gone Girl fame. Um, but uh, yeah, so we basically all of our characters have been met, and uh, Gustav Graves, we believe him to just be a English billionaire philanthropist uh, inventor. But uh, as we learn, there is actually much more to his story <laughs> as we get thicker into this plot. Uh, but first, a sword fight. 
Um, now, as part of the goofy nature of this film is that it's you know obviously it's it's terrible, but I really I really do enjoy this sequence. Um, I think as you know, it's a it's a fun little diversion of just Bond uh, fighting the villain. Although I do think that uh, Pierce Brosnan maybe is a bit too old to beat this guy. He looks physically younger and quicker than he is. Yeah, but um, yeah, it's, it's such a, a big scene to just kind of and it kind of I feel like there's nothing. It just sort of amps up out of nowhere. I was kind of a bit taken aback, as I say, having never seen this before, that they're just sort of like, oh, we'll fence with the, you know, we'll just have a fencing match. And, you know, I kind of expected it to stay within the fencing arena. Like, why wouldn't it? And instead it turns into them running all over the place and no, yeah, they're smashing different swords and suits of armor and yeah they're they're craziness. like out to kill each other the, yeah, the competition Roy at some point <laughs> indeed yeah it reminds me of the the glass uh house fight in moonraker where everything is just smashed to pieces <laughs> um but yeah bond wins the con the contest um and uh as he does and uh yeah so i think uh i think this is where um, Bond goes to an underground station to meet with M. Uh, and then the, he also goes and visits uh, Q or underground. Uh, actually, no, before that, we get a sequence where it feels like there's an invasion in MI6 where Money Penny is killed and several people oh, are yes. killed. It's a very, like, the first time I saw this, I was like, oh man, is this really happening? And then. And then it just turns out to be a, a VR simulator set up by Q, who's, you know, John Cleese has now taken on the role as Q. Um, but yeah, this is a very strange sequence. I think it, it really only works the first time you see it because you don't know. Uh, or, well, actually, this is your first time seeing it. What did you think? Uh, yeah, no, like for me, it was kind of like I pegged it immediately. And it was pretty much because, like you say, it just opens and and Ronnie Penny's just gone down. I'm like, there's no way in hell they're going to just have Money Penny die at yeah. the opening of a sequence. I'm like, this is still be a trick on this. And then they pull the VR thing. It's like, yeah, okay, we, we knew where that was coming. Right, yeah. So, which has a bizarre payoff at the end of the movie. Um, but yeah, this is where he goes through the uh, the room of gadgets uh, where Q gives him a new wash, a watch. He jokes that it's his 20th one. It's the 20th film in the EON franchise. Ha, ha, ha. Um, and uh, he also gets a ring with a frequency that allows him to shatter any pane of glass, no matter how bulletproof, uh, which he is actually a pretty nifty gadget. He uses it, it a is. few times. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I believe this uh, takes us to the Ice Palace in Iceland, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Um, if not, Ooh. let's let's get there. What do you think? Yeah. So oh, we uh, this is um, I mean, it's. I don't even remember why they're there. <laughs> well, they're um, there because uh, Gustav Grave is unveiling his project he's been working on, which is he's a unveiling Icarus. That's Icarus right. the satellite, which uh, can harnesses the power of the sun to light up the darkest parts of the world, and basically they cast the entire planet in uh, perpetual daylight. Which, which uh, his his plan is to. Uh, um, it would be like used to grow crops. So basically food can harvest 24 seven. But I think if there were two suns lighting up the planet, people would go fucking insane. Ba basically. I, and why would you debut this in Iceland, a country that has through the summer, like nearly 24 hours of sunlight. And, like these people would be like, that's a terrible <laughs> idea. We know from experience that's difficult. Yeah. Um, Weirdly enough, I did see this is originally was going to be called Solaris, this device, but then Steven Soderbergh was remaking Solaris. They were like, well, we'll back off. Icarus. Mm. So they do that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I would talk generally, I would say, of the ice, Iceland scenes. I actually, I went to Iceland earlier this year and had a wonderful oh, time. Really yeah. nice country. A little bit disappointed that, frankly, I, I guess they, they take advantage of the glaciers and stuff, but uh, there's it doesn't there's nothing really recognizable of the country there other than a few like kind of a big glassy ice plain. I feel like they don't really harness the the location that well, and of course the ice palace is a complete fabrication. Uh, there isn't one of those in Iceland, um, so don't don't go there looking for that and cite this movie. Uh, yeah, do yeah. something else. So. Um, <laughs> 
But yeah, it, it, this whole ice palace thing, I don't understand how this works because everything's made of ice. The chairs are made of ice and all these women are walking around in backless gowns. And I was oh, like, yeah. this, this won't work at all. This is ridiculous. But then again, this is also a, as we didn't even mention, this is the Bond film with an invisible car. Yeah, oh so, my god. We totally, yeah, forgot. Yeah, he totally gets the that, invisible yeah. car, the it's, Vanish. Okay, okay let's, let's, put this in, let's put this in context. Right. Roger Moore said this was a bad idea. Yeah. Right, Roger Moore pointed <laughs> out this was going too far within the franchise. And if Roger Moore says that, then you've gone too far. And I think it's fair. This is just such a, like, goofy kind of a thing. And it's not even utilized in any kind of particularly clever way. Uh, no, it's I don't know. It's it's basically it's so I think it exists solely because CG had got to a point where you could kind of put it together pretty easily, uh, and I feel like that I feel like special effects drove the gadget rather than the other way around on this case. Yeah, I mean, why use the the? You're, you're right, the invisible car. I mean, even even with the skipping ahead to when it's ultimately used to hide from Zhao. Uh, as he's gonna ram him off the as side into the pool when they're ha- at the end of their car chase. Right. I mean, even if he just backed up, Zhao wouldn't have been able to stop. He's flooring yeah. it full speed. So I don't know why he had to go invisible. It's true. Like he, he goes invisible and then Zhao starts screaming like, "Oh no, that's the end for me!" But he doesn't see what Bond. I don't know. Yeah, invisible it's, car. It's a yeah. dumb idea. It gets one good side gag where a snowmobile crashes into nothing. Yeah, that um, is. Yeah, that's. In, yeah, but but that's about it, and it's just so. Yeah, yeah, whatever. It's it's in. Yeah, I'm not. I can't. I'm not even going to begin to argue with the science of the car, which is it's covered in miniature invisible cameras that'll project the other side of the car through it to appear as if there's nothing there, which would probably mean that the car is only invisible from one specific angle in a, like a profile shot. But uh, yeah, I, I'm not even gonna that's, get that's into that. That's why you don't work for MI6. I, that's right. You know, I'm <laughs> I'm too much of a invisible car cynic to have a job there. Uh, yeah. So, anyways, there's uh, we reveal, I believe, that Jinx is. I don't know if we mentioned earlier that she's also she's her own secret agent. She's investigating because Zhao is at the Ice Palace as well. And then this is where we find out that Gustav Graves is actually the deceased Colonel Moon from the pre-title sequence where he, in the 14 months, Bond was in uh, in being tortured in North Korea. Uh, <laughs> Colonel Moon took it upon himself to get gene therapy to transform from like a five foot nine Korean man into a six foot one English man. Uh, and then also uh, make a name for himself as a billionaire and also construct the Icarus satellite all in the span of just over one year. Yes, uh, yeah, that's impressive. He's, he's <laughs> a go-getter is our Colonel Moon. Um, uh, yeah, th- I feel like this is the ultimate callback, though, because um, this is uh, calling back to uh, You Only like Live Twice. Weird surgery. And this is reverse yellow face. Yeah. Yeah, in in remarkable, I I this is a you know a, an incredible innovation in film racism, uh, to er, to erase a Korean character by turning him into Maggie Smith's son is just a phenomenal piece of scripting uh. and so pointless. Doesn't really lend anything, and I, I think it's worth noting, honestly, uh, that Toby Stevens as Gustav Braves is frankly it could have been replaced with a refrigerator as far as i'm concerned i do have no recollection of the man whatsoever or the character he's yeah he just basically he's got uh, basically just scowls a lot is what he does uh it's, he's you know and and again like, is it just a part is it him i don't care i, I could barely even focus but yeah. yeah the reveal that he's actually a korean man it's it's one of those things that's like you get the inkling of it and you're like but they wouldn't that would be very stupid thing to do and they just go straight ahead and they do it anyway no yeah why would anyone think to do that (laughs) 
But yeah, so uh, Jinx is captured. Uh, Bond saves her. There's another. There's a callback to Goldfinger where she's on a table being tortured by a laser moving precariously close to her head. What is uh, this room that just is lasers? There's a button you push and just lasers yeah. fire all it over the place. It becomes a giant disco party where they're like dodging lasers to fight, and he fights a big Samoan henchman named Mister Kill who gets a laser shot through the back of his skull and it comes out of his mouth. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and then uh, they also unceremoniously cut his arm off with a laser so they can use it to get past the security grid on the, yeah, the palm that's scanner. A that, that's a weirdly kind of like dark joke to kind of cut around because they don't, you know, show them doing it, obviously. It's just sort of like a nod and a wink, like, yeah, we just sawed it corpse's arm off. <laughs> yeah. Sort of strange. But, yeah. Hey, why not? Yeah. So I think also at this point Bond has uh, slept with uh, Miranda Frost in the ice hotel, and that's, um, that's right. She, yes. She's revealed to be uh, Gustav Graves' right hand woman. Yeah. We, she... we forgot to mention that she was actually originally she's MI six, and she was cover. She was she was there right for MI six to monitor Graves, and then it turns out she's actually a double agent, and she was actually the person relaying the information. And it wasn't Bond when, when Bond was captured and they thought right. there was a leak. That it was, in fact, actually baby-faced Rosamund Pike. I've never seen her this young. It was actually a little bit disconcerting to me. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, yeah, I, I mean. I never I, knew she was a Bond girl. I really don't know from, like, Gone Girl and some later projects. So I was, I was not, but this is her first film. So. That's, yeah, uh, that's crazy. But so I mean, you know. So for fans it's a, of her career, that's a rough start to have to go back to. But <laughs> so goes. I mean, I would argue she's one of the better things about this movie. Sure, um, yeah. She's she's certainly it's it's a kind of a campy performance, especially especially once she becomes the villain. Because I think I think once you're the villain in a film like this, you can sort of just cut loose, and you know, really your dignity is something you don't really necessarily worry yourself about. And so as long as you're chewing up the scenery and having fun, but uh, yeah, she certainly you know is going for it and gives in a. a uh, sure. No, she she plays fine. Ice Maiden well in the yeah. literal Ice Castle. That's right. I, I just I meant I meant to mention actually because I was just thinking we talked about how Jinx and Bond hook up and we actually you know we're first time seeing Bond having sex. Also, fourteen month dry spell before that. So oh man, yeah. Whew, that's I, don't, a, I don't know how inter- that works because inter- Bond interesting is interesting number. Yeah, yeah. Bond is a man who fears being alone. So God, all those <laughs> lonely nights with scorpion venom. Um, but I don't uh, know what you do to to stave off the loneliness in, in North Korea. Yeah, stomping so, his heart over and over again. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> just, probably just, a tantric sex thing. That's where he learned to stop his heart. Ah, he just wow. dies in the middle of sex. Just yeah, it's just wow. Good <laughs> lord. Um, well, speed of good lord, we uh. Bond escape. Uh, this is also Iceland is where uh, Gustav Graves is doing his rocket car testing. Bond uses it to escape and uh, he turns Icarus on to try to fry Bond and Bond gets to the edge of a glacier. And this is where we get to the craziest fucking scene in any Bond film. Um, Bond takes out like the uh, the emergency parachute out of the rocket car, breaks off like a side door and once the glacier breaks off into the water and causes a huge wave, Bond windsurfer surfs uh, to safety. I guess kite gliding or kite, something. I don't yeah. know. It's got a specific name, but yeah, one of those variants of having a parachute and a surfboard. Yeah, it to, it's in the uh, the CGI. Quite frankly, does not hold up one yes. bit. It, it's <laughs> no, it's it, like it, a PlayStation One video game. <laughs> with zero interactivity yeah. yeah everything just looks like little toy cars being bounced it's like a kid's play set yeah stuff flung, and the, the laser cutting up the glacier uh, i'm still confused as to how to how how graves managed to develop this this thing with government funding apparently or government assistance to create a secret weapon yeah. it's like it's a very silly subplot but anyhow yes he he escapes in grand fashion uh, yeah i can only imagine them explaining this to pierce brosnan before they shot him like no this is what's happening and this is what you're doing and you can almost look at the death in his eyes and just like oh, i don't know 
This is we're not it's, doing this again. Yeah, Pierce is even like he slips into his Irish accent every now and then in this movie. Yes, it seems he like he's he's just beyond trying. It's like, well, here's another one. Let's do it. <laughs> and he, it's also it's kind of sad too because like of all the Bond actors who played Bond, he's the one who regrets not having another film. Like all the other actors have like moved on and or you know they you know just talk about it as something that happened but bond their pierce brosnan is the only one who's sort of sort of sad about this you know this era in his life that he once claimed and now has no longer he's um, yeah i feel but, like his potential was maybe never really reached and you know yeah. we talked about i think you know we were talking very fondly about uh about uh the world is not enough and yeah Golden Eye is very solid but uh, yeah, I mean, I, he's got he's really way down. He's got two good ones and two bad ones, kind of, and yeah. uh, and for all of them, he's sort of he, yeah. He seems like the perfect Bond on pay, paper, and you know he he gets a lot of down, but there's nothing. He doesn't really have an iconic Bond film, maybe comparatively. You know, even Timothy Dalton has two films, but they're so radically different from the rest of the franchise that yeah. uh, you know they they kind of stand out a little more. Um, so Pierce Brosnan lies somewhere between Connery and Roger Moore and maybe just never quite he's, found the niche. That's the thing is that you you can sum up Pierce is that he's a very much a well-rounded Bond. I like the man. I think he's got great moments, but ultimately his strongest moments do not stand out as much as like uh, Connery's best moments do or yeah. or he does not get to the level of Dalton. And then and then when he gets to when he gets to the full goofy campiness of Die Another Day, it's not like Roger Moore, where I think Moonraker is a lot of fun and I enjoy watching that movie. But it, and I think the some of the space effects from the era hold up better than the digital yeah. effects do in this film. So it's it's just yeah a matter of balance. And I think also he Brosnan was just kind of burned with scripts because we haven't even gotten to the fact that every other line in this movie it's either a line of exposition or a pun. Uh, because he re, re, when he reencounters Zhao in the Ice Palace, he says to Zhao, "I've always missed your sparkling personality." Zhao hits him and goes, "How's that for a punchline?" Uh, when they're torturing Halle Berry, they ask who sent her. She says, "Yo, mama." And there's all there's just just one after another. It's an endless tirade of the worst bargain basement puns you can imagine there, there's that and also i cannot like we, we mentioned earlier but i just i really want to impress on anyway if you have not seen the film the, yeah. the whole speed changing shifting thing they oh, do throughout yeah. is so it just everything is worse because of it so yeah it, this film just really like, like i agree with you i think like the, the roger moore films got very broad and goofy at points but they they were, you know, they were enjoyable in that, but this one just kind of grates the nerves. It's yeah. just kind of not nice to watch it. Um, yeah. The best I can say, it's an unpleasant looking film from an unpleasant period of film uh, where they were kind of switching to digital elements in post-production and for, for visual effects. Um, but but it was it was still kind of a, a period where they were finding their their, their footing. Yeah, and yeah, it, it shows. It's yeah. it's it's very much a hey we we discovered this thing let's use it and then the yeah, reality I, is no don't do that ever again. Yeah, I feel like digital particularly and particularly stuff like color grading and stuff like digital just allowed like people to have an idea and just realize it immediately whereas if they had to go through like a photochemical process at some point someone would have been like we shouldn't do this this sucks whereas in digital it's like i feel like you flip a switch almost and like you know you set broad parameters and do you know you can work like that whereas with film it's slower and more careful time consuming and so maybe there's more time for people to go this is a mistake we should roll this back Whereas yeah. digital allows the worst impulses to kind of make it much further down the road, which I think has kind of shaped a lot of uh, modern cinema. Yeah, and I th- and there's also just a is with digital technology and CGI. There's really more of a, a I hesitate to say laziness, but that's kind of what it feels like because 
you're letting a computer do all the work for you as opposed to like matte paintings and and like things like stuff like I, that's why i always love stop motion animation because there's still a loving craft that goes into making something come alive on screen that you just don't get with this modern technology Absolutely. so yeah yeah it's a it's a very bizarre turning point uh for bond yeah yeah the cruelty i think of, of digital visual effects is that they they you know as we, we it's more stories come out as like digital artists the people who actually make them often work insane hours for very little pay um but without yeah. proper guidance and funding it can still just look like crap but it's you know there's a laziness that i agree with you in the conceptualization but there's still a lot of hard work to make it happen and they just have a bunch of drones they abuse to do that part yeah and it's still and then it looks like crap at the end and yeah. it's kind of like maybe maybe you should have thought more about what you were trying to do yeah but, exactly i mean it, this is the only one that has a giant space laser cutting up a glacier so <laughs> for bond to then surf off of and then and a collapsing ice palace yeah so back to the ice palace bond gets into a, a like a sort of a goofy spy versus spy uh car chase sequence which with car Zao. has the most missiles yeah now Part of me actually kind of really enjoys this sequence. Um, in one moment in particular, I always am fond of. It's where Bond is, his car is flipped uh, upside down onto the ice. And basically the roof of his car is drifting across the ice. And Zhao's in his green souped up Jaguar, with which has missiles in it as well. And he fires a missile at Bond. Bond pops open the moon roof and then kicks out the ejector seat, which... Uh, flips his car over and also dodges the missile. It's a just a, that's just a brief moment that I enjoy, but it's you know it's again it's a very overlong and, and goofy chase that yeah, is just par for the course one. of this movie. I don't recall which seat does he eject because he's sitting in the seat when he hits the ejector. So I guess is there a passenger? It has eject? to be the passenger seat. Passenger eject, yeah. and then I don't recall if there is a passenger seat visible from then on in. But yeah, that's that's a little. It's it's very zany this whole thing. Yeah, um, he, like Sao's car just has missiles everywhere. Like every, it's like a fucking agents of mask, like like Mattel yeah. toy. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. The mask cars. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Well, anyways, yeah. Bond uh, uses the invisibility, the Deus Ex invisibility machine to dodge Zhao's final attack, and then he shoots a chandelier to crush Zhao into a fountain of blood in the water. Uh, and then he saves Jinx, who uh, has been drowning in her hotel room because she was locked in and Icarus is melting the floors above her. So it's been rapidly filling with water. But um, yeah, Bond saves her. They track down uh, Gustav Graves is in North Korea. So the film returns to North Korea for the final showdown, which takes place on a plane. Um, and uh, they get into two separate fight sequences where Bond is fighting uh, Colonel Moon as Gustav Graves, and he's got a very goofy uh, exoskeleton suit on with like a Nintendo Power Glove and uh, 3D glasses that can zap people, and uh, Halle Berry gets into a sword fight with um, uh, Miranda, Frost. Yeah, Miranda Frost, Rosamund Pike. Uh, so there's these sort of two different sequences cut back to forth, but um, yeah, the you know they they kill their respective villains any do you have anything any can you muster any thoughts or criticism on the sequence that the only thing i remember from this is there's one part where where the the women are fighting and i think halle berry skewers a copy of sun tzu's art of war right and it's still like okay uh, i don't really understand why this is happening uh, i don't even remember how like i yeah, it, honestly, as I think about it, I'm kind of impressed with how much of this I've forgotten. And I watched this not very long ago, like just literally a few days ago. I remember Bond shoots, the, someone grabs his hand and he shoots a gun and hits the window of the plane. So it depressurizes. Yeah, everybody gets sucked, gets sucked out, out yeah. including this, the, the inventor guy. There's this guy who's like an inventor for Graves, who's like perhaps the most anonymous henchman of the entire franchise. Yeah. I don't even know what his name is. He's just uh, there. He's got like a it's like just a one syllable uh, German name. I can look yeah, it up in a second. He's like, but he's like just a tech guy. But anyhow, he dies at that point. But who cares? He's yeah. Um, he, he's got one of the funnier lines in the movie though. After when Bond steals the rocket car and 
to drive away from Icarus, oh, he says, uh, "Boss, he beats your time." <laughs> yeah, I love. Imagine being so so you can't read the room that you would tell your megomaniacal boss yeah. specifically that. Also, the fact that he managed to beat his time while like going in a straight line with a rocket car. It's like, yeah, wow, what what can't Bond do? Um, his, name yeah, is, th- his name is Vlad. Vlad. Oh, of course it is. Why not? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Oh, you know what? I just realized I had I had that not jotted down too. I just forgot which one was which. Yeah. Um, but anyhow, so uh, a weird thing here as well is, which confused me, the allegiances here too, because so Colonel Moon, aka Gustav Graves or Graves, meets back with General Moon, his father, who doesn't know that yeah. Graves is his son. But I'm confused. I don't remember what happens here because it's like he 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 doesn't want. Graves to do this thing for North Korea because it will cause a war yeah. or something, and North Korea will get wiped out. I, there's there's a kind of a confusing plot here about whether you know also North Koreans like is North Korean command the good guys now? Yeah, or are they they're recent. It, it just kind of gets lost in the mishmash, and then they all just get sucked out a plane window. So yeah, he, <laughs> kind of solves itself. It's it's supposed to be, I guess, the emotional payoff of it. But I mean, this the I mean, you barely remember General Moon from the opening, and uh, yeah, it's 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 just too ridiculous to think that Gustav Graves is actually a shorter Korean man He's embracing his father. It does not work uh, in the slightest and bit. It's like I'm gonna rescue the the fatherland by yeah. doing this, and it's like yeah, North Korea's all gonna gather around the British dude. Yeah, I think uh, I think they're trying to basically unite North and South Korea and just m- make it be the world's greatest superpower is his yeah, that's, plan. Yeah, because he's using because he uses the Icarus to like blow up the demilitarized zone or whatever. Right. Yeah. So he's he's zapping that, and then the plane starts flying towards it. And someone is they is a Bond or James who steers the plane in and locks it onto that course, so they're all going to fly in. So she's like, it's a suicide mission, but then they're able to get out again. Yeah. I don't remember exactly. Well, they I don't remember how they get locked in, but I do remember they get out um by tossing a helicopter out of the plane after they toss out it, Colonel Moon's sports cars. Cuz apparently he's a big sports car aficionado and he's collecting them and taking them everywhere with him. Um but yeah, they escape in a helicopter and uh uh Gustav Graves gets sucked into a the one of the plane's engines. Uh, and then you are correct about Art of War being pierced by a book because Halle Berry then picks up the book with the knife sticking out of it and Miranda Frost says, I can read your every move. And Halle Berry says, read this and stabs it to her heart and kicks it in and says, Oh, that's that's right. Bitch. Yeah, The, the it, lines in these are not great. No. Because there's that. And then, and then when Graves gets sucked through the jet engine, um, just beforehand, uh, Bond says, "Time to face gravity." And it's like gravity isn't really the force that's acting on him when he gets sucked out of a plane through an engine. Like that's that's yeah. not gra- <laughs> that's that's not the Earth's pull. Uh, but anyhow, and, and that's uh, like, just, and that's in response to Gustav Graves' claim, "Time to face destiny." Which time to face gravity? You're right. It has nothing to do with how he dies. He doesn't fall <laughs> to his death. He's not crushed by anything. He gets sucked through a moving plane engine. <laughs> oh, oh, I mean, I guess the the situation is a certain gravity for him. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I feel like Bond is off his quip game here. Yeah. For sure. We should mention that the entire situation that's happening in the plane is being monitored by both uh, MI6 and the CIA, and the head of the CIA is played by Michael Madsen in that's a role right. that he would have been probably Jinx's boss if they were to make a spin-off series. Um, but, he would have uh, been the Charlie, and she would have been the Angels. Exactly, yeah. But then the actual Charlie's Angels movie came out and was did so poorly that helped convince him to not pursue that idea further, apparently. yeah. Just stick with working with Tarantino, I guess. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, Bond and Jinx fly off to safety in their helicopter. They get, uh, and they also have a safe, a, like a trunk load of diamonds. That I guess is in reference to diamonds are forever. Diamonds are what started this whole thing, and uh, they have this very uncomfortable dialogue where it sounds like they're having sex, but really they're just putting diamonds into Jinx's belly button. That uh, looks like a terrible idea to me personally yeah Yeah, it's and so that's how uh yeah and that's how pierce brosnan wraps up his tenure as bond 
by putting diamonds in Halle Berry's belly button. <laughs> Sexy. Yeah, and uh, and that wraps up Die Another Day. Uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I mean, I was hoping a part of me would like enjoy it as like a, a campy fun bad one because, you know, some of these that we've gone through, like I keep mentioning Moonraker is like the closest analog, but um, it's 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 just a lot of it's just a lot of misguided ideas. Um, it is. What's really impressive to me one. is that this movie, as stupid as it is, also managed to kick off like an international incident because it really pissed off South Koreans. Oh, I on, can't on imagine. several fronts. Uh, firstly, it's a depiction of North Korea. They at some point have bond a sex and by a Buddhist statue. Um, there's a few other bits and pieces. Uh, there were like protests in Korea. It got shut out of cinemas. Yeah. Um, I'm sure North Korea probably didn't like it either, but I don't think most people care what North Korea thinks since they're not really a market. Uh, so they don't have to listen to them. But yeah, like imagine right. kicking off a, a <clears throat> excuse me, a, an international incident for this. For this <laughs> movie. Like, oh, at least man. make it interesting. But yeah. yeah. Oh, God. Thank God for Parasite. Yeah, that's all I'll say. Anyways. That's um, it. Redeemed. <laughs> yeah, redeemed. You've redeemed Korea, Parasite. Uh, well, I mean, let's uh, let's not waste any more time. Let's run. Let's run this bitch's numbers. Absolutely. Okay, so um, we we said last last episode, Pierce Brosnan established himself in just three movies as the most lethal James Bond, and uh, he tacks on another twenty five here. Nice. I count. So that gives him a total of one hundred and eighteen, which puts him clear of. Roger Moore's paltry 86 kills. I'm going to guess um, uh, most of these probably came from the pre-title sequence, huh? Uh, a good chunk, yeah. A lot of yeah. hovercrafts uh, being being blown up. Uh, yeah, yeah, a good chunk of it. Uh, and then snowmobiles later on. Right. I do and also, I will add one moment I like is where he uses the parachute to uh, clothesline the guy on the snowmobile so that he can steal it. And he, that that one is pretty in good. The snow. I do yes. like that. Every every now and then, there's a there's a reminder as to why I enjoy watching these movies. But uh, <laughs> this one has the fewest and furthest between. Yes, absolutely. So yeah, and, and I just noticed actually this film. I think this is Pierce Brosnan's lowest body count at twenty five. I think, um, and it's Crazy. still just and, and it's one short of all of the people Timothy Dalton killed in two films. Um, to give you an idea of just how. Wow. This bloodthirsty uh, James Bond has become. Yeah, you're losing your edge there, Pierce. Yeah, that's it. Well, but, uh, you know, yeah. about, can can Daniel Craig catch him? We're going to find out. Whoa. Well, that's I mean, next... uh, yeah, but, uh, you know, before we get to that, let me just say this movie cost $160 million to make, so uh, which is $229 million today. So up to this point, it is the most expensive Bond movie yet. Um, which is weird because it looks like the cheapest and shittiest one yet that we've seen. Weird um, how that works. Yeah, weird how that works. Uh, what? Oh, I apologize. 160 million is what it made in the U.S. Is 142 million dollars was its budget. Uh, but then this movie would go on to make 432 million dollars worldwide unadjusted. So this was the highest grossing Bond film unadjusted for inflation back in its day. Ow. I mean, it's I I just have to chalk it up to like the the this being the 40th anniversary and this people were sure. really celebrating this one is like, oh, it's bigger and uh, than before. And uh, like Brosnan, and his films were all like two films apart. So or two years apart. So this is like a three year apart. So people were kind of starved for one and they were kind of going big with this one. And uh, yeah, I think they just threw in. All these yeah. ingredients into a into a I guess, giant I guess it helps stew. It, it stars Academy Award winner Halle Berry. I'm sure that brought yeah. a lot of people was like, I love Monsters Ball. I'm gonna check out Die Another Day. That's right. Yeah, you have Halle Berry, you have Madonna, one of the you know biggest stars in the world, doing the theme song. It's it seemed like there's just all these ingredients, but uh, they it made a giant shit pie. It did, um, and yet this still has a higher Rotten Tomatoes average rating than Tomorrow Never Die or The World Is Not Enough, which is a yeah. considerably better film. That I mean, yeah, that if this were released today, there's no way it would. This would have like I would guess like a seventeen percent or something. It's it would be absolutely ruined. And and I should note that 
Prior to this, the highest grossing Bond film um, unadjusted was Moonraker, and which is also a film that swung for the crazy fences and also was a reaction to like the Star Wars of its day. So this is it gets to a point every now and then where Bond goes so uh, far left that it actually has to kind of reset. And that's exactly what we'll be getting with the next film. So that, that will happen. Be on the lookout for that, listeners. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm I'm just gonna run over gonna run over his partnerships through this. Uh, Great. We do have one interesting number here. He has he he beds two ladies in this film. Yeah, uh, of course, Jinx Johnson and then Miranda Frost. But um, I was talking about how you know uh, talking recent episodes how really there's no recapturing the greatest age difference between Roger Moore and Carol Bouquet, and for your eyes only thirty year age difference. God. I feel that would be unassailable, but. We come close here, actually, surprisingly, oh. yeah, for 2002. Pierce Brosnan, 49 years old. Rosamund Pike, 23. So that is a 26-year age difference. This is blows everything else out of the water. Uh, comes just so close. Wonderfully inappropriate and strange. Although yeah. I suppose we can explain it off by the fact that Miranda Frost is a villain and is doing it to to get something from bond yeah she's got uh, to basically to unload his gun i believe or something <laughs> but anyway i guess in more ways than one. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh god this film sucks uh, <laughs> so, so uh yeah there, there we go and that brings uh pierce broughton's total tally to 10 ladies nice. um huh? which puts him well well behind connery and moore who have 19 apiece um and no doubt chlamydia ah <laughs> uh, well Ah, uh, Pierce Brosnan, we hardly knew ye, but uh, yeah, so, uh, certainly, certainly a period that has its uh has its moments. But I think looking back, it's the it's the one Bond tenure that has uh, aged the worst. Uh, even if I happen to really like two of the films, um, this but, uh, this one has aged like milk behind a refrigerator. The, yeah. That's a good point. Milk behind the refrigerator with the like the exhaust burning onto it. Uh, it's <laughs> it's it's nasty. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's die another day. Um, and that does it for us. Uh, Jack, any final words or uh, any any uh, any you want to plug your social media? Where can people find you? You you can find me on Twitter at real Jack Eason. And mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, let let me know what your favorite parts of die another day are. Yeah, let us know. Do you have a weird fondness for this film? Do you think it's the worst one like 98% of the world does? Eh, I, I mean, we're, we'd be glad to hear. You can reach me at Jake Tropila, T-R-O-P-I-L-A. I'll usually respond to anything that's sent to me on Twitter. So say hello. Even if, you, if you're if you a fan, just say hi. Uh, we'll appreciate that. You can also uh, email us at optimismvaccine at gmail.com or uh, hit up our Twitter account at optimismvaccine. Uh, also, uh, if you're listening on iTunes, uh, or wherever you get your podcast, uh, go ahead and give us a five-star review and, uh, leave us a nice rating and, and let us know why you like enjoying the show. Do you, do you agree with us? Do you disagree with us? Let us know. We want to communicate with you. But, um, yeah, I think, uh, that about does it for this episode. I've been, uh, I've been Jake Tropila. I've been Jack Eason. And for your ears only, we'll return with Casino Royale. <laughs> <laughs>